that Raymond wants all the information, any of the information, just any way to connect, even if it's something that he might not want to see or that Andrew thinks he might not want to see. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back in to another episode of No Script. We're delighted to be here. We're delighted to be talking about a new playwright this week. Uh, And every week is a new play, so that's just kind of par for the course. What's not par for the course this week, and you may have already heard it if you're kind of an audiophile, is that uh, my audio is going to sound a little bit different this week. And that is because I am stuck in my apartment. That is right, folks. I've got COVID. It's true. Yeah, yeah. You're you're broadcasting from quarantine. That's right. This is like going to go down as an archive of history, the quarantine episode of No Script. Uh, Luckily, I am vaccinated. My wife, Brianne, is vaccinated, but we both got breakthrough cases of COVID. However, our vaccines have kept us very healthy. We're in good spirits. Our quarantine is nearly over. So that's a really good thing. We're excited that we did not get very sick. Yes, yes, that is that is a huge, huge deal. So good on you, and I'm glad you're doing okay. Yeah, well, us too, and I'm glad that we were vaccinated. It, look, if you're not vaccinated out there, it's about time to get vaccinated, okay? Just please yeah, get yeah. on it, protect yourselves, protect the people around you, especially if you're listening to this podcast. That probably means that you, like, are interested in the world of theater a little bit. Yeah, and if uh-huh. you don't have a vaccine, you're, like, one of the people that's slowing up this return to the theaters that we were all hoping to have so come on get on especially if you're a listener of this podcast get on it so we can get theater back to normal it's time to gather back together again so yes please please get vaccinated uh we're all we're all waiting for the next day whenever we're past this this one amen (laughs) well okay so all that means for this episode is that my audio is going to sound a little bit different maybe a little more echoey a little less like i'm in a studio because i'm not it also there could be weird creaks and noises you might hear my dogs you might hear the car or if they're, you know, if the garbage truck goes by or whatever happens, you're probably going to hear it. So we apologize that my audio is a little different, but we thought we'd plow ahead with recording an episode even while I'm in quarantine. And it's going to be a great script that we are talking about as we jump into it. We're talking about, as you mentioned in the uh, beginning of the episode, we're talking about a new playwright today. And the play we're talking about is The Book of Mountains and Seas by Yilong Leo. Yeah, we're really excited to have that conversation. This play was so interesting to me. It, It involves like Chinese mythology and then kind of a modern... Uh, romp through New York City. So it's a fun play that ties those things together. It was a new playwright to me. This is the first play by Ilang Neo that I've ever read. So it was a great thing to talk about. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely. Before we jump into that conversation, though, we do want to take just a moment and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast. If you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that we love getting to do the show, um, uh, and, and it's a really it's just an important part of staying sane, especially in <laughs> in uh, uh, COVID tide, um, to continue get to getting to talk about scripts. However, alas, the conversation or the, the podcast itself is not a free endeavor, and our 
our patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast support the show. They they are the ones that enable us to continue being able to uh, do no script. So uh, thank you to all of our patrons over there. Yeah, I just want to jump in and echo that. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those of us who are supporting us on Patreon. It's just not possible to do this without you all. So big thank you over there. And thank you to all those patrons who have subscribed at uh, the various levels. There's a $1 tier over there that is the, the uh, you know, lowest uh, amount possible to contribute to the show. And we hope that at that $12 over the course of a year amount, you're getting uh, that much value out of the show. So thank you to everyone who subscribed at that level. And thank you to all of our uh, uh, patrons at the playwright level as well. We uh, thank all of our patrons at the playwright level with uh, some producer credit at the starts of the show. And today we have a new one to thank. So thank you to Albert Dayen for uh, becoming a patron at the playwright level. Thank you for supporting the show, Albert. It means a whole lot to us. Um, so thanks so much. Uh, you get the producer credit for this show. This one's on you. So thanks so much. And uh, thank you to all of our patrons again. If you're looking for a way to help out Pat patreon no not no, patreon. do not we don't need you to help out patreon they're doing fine <laughs> yeah it's true it's true <laughs> if, if all of you are looking for a way to help out no script you can head over to patreon.com slash no script podcast and sign up as a patron we will see you over there and now back to the script here we go all right elon Ryu is a an up-and-coming playwright he has received a couple of different awards um and right now is new york based he goes by he, his website calls him a bilingual playwright and screenwriter. Um, Ilong Liu is from China. He received his BA in China and then came to Hawaii to get his MFA in playwriting at the University of Hawaii at Manila. Um, his MFA thesis was a play on the Asian American LGBTQ community in Hawaii and on the fight for marriage equality in Hawaii. And so this seems to be something that is really near and dear to his heart because a lot of those themes and those issues transfer over into this script as well. Um, he is part of the Ensemble Studio Theater's uh, playwriting group Youngblood, which has won an Obie Award. He's received the Paul Stephen Lim Playwriting Award. He's received a Kennedy Center Paula Vogel Playwriting Award. And um, by Arts Boston, he was recently named one of the 10 Contemporary Asian and Pacific Islander American Playwrights You Should Know, which is a little bit of a long award, but congratulations to Elon Liu on that. This script um, was originally scheduled to be produced by the New Conservatory Theater in, in uh, 2020, but that production ended up getting canceled due to the pandemic. They were going to partner with the Chinese Culture Foundation of San Francisco, the Chinese Historical Society, the Asian Pacific Alliance. That didn't end up happening. Um, but it's got a, a kind of a development history before that. It was a workshop by the East West Players. It was uh, involved in a Bay Area Playwrights Festival in 2018. Um, it won that uh, Kennedy Center Paul Stephen Lim Playwriting Award in 2018. Um, Urban Stages produced a reading in 2018. The DVRF Playwrights Roundtable produced a reading in 2019. And it was all set up for that world premiere in 2020 that ended up getting canceled. So this is one of those plays that exists in that bubble that we've kind of talked about before, where everything was sort of set up for them to kick off their lives in the world. And then 
then the pandemic happened and it kind of stalled that taking off, that liftoff from the tarmac. So again, we, we've mentioned before on this podcast that it'll be interesting to see what happens to these group of scripts that were set up to make their debut into prominence and then the pandemic stalled that outcoming. So I don't know what's going to happen to this script. Uh, maybe this podcast will be part of uh, kind of revitalizing its life a little bit, but I really enjoyed it. So I think other people probably will too. Um, just one more note on Elon Liu. He is uh, kind of, he, he in a number of interviews, he really mentions that he's not an Asian American. He's a Chinese playwright who's currently living in America. And again, is that bilingual playwright. In 2020, he won the Lambda Literary Award for Drama, which is an LGBTQ related award for a literary or theatrical work. So he kind of, his plays are in this world of LGBTQ or queer theater and of uh, bilingual Chinese theater. So it's a really interesting intersection, I think, um, which is kind of a new intersection for this podcast too. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get to kind of jump in and talk about it because it's got some great resonant themes from those uh, different points of view. Um, I am going to synopsize the play just a little bit to kind of kick off, kick off our conversation. Um, the play has three characters, Raymond, Archie, and Andrew. Uh, Raymond is a college professor in California. He is Chinese. He's in his 50s, and he's uh, lived in California for an amount of time. He immigrated there uh, sometime uh, in like Archie's early teenage years. Um, yeah, he calls him, like, he says that Archie was a big boy by the time they had moved from China to California. It's never exactly clear what he means, but not as a baby, I guess. Yep, yep. And then Archie is his son. He's in his 20s. Um, and then we also know Andrew, and Andrew is Archie's boyfriend or life partner. It's a little little unclear. Both terms are used uh, for, for their relationship, but they uh, uh, had their relationship in New York, so on the other coast um, uh, away from Andrew. Uh, or I'm sorry, away from Raymond. Uh, the start of the play starts with Archie. He's kind of delivering this monologue about the Book of Mountains and Seas, which is a kind of um, a mythic book of the creatures of of China folklore. And, and, uh, and it, it's actually called the Classic of Mountains and Seas, which is an interesting... I'm not actually totally sure what to make of the fact that then the title of this play is not the Classic of Mountains and Seas, it's the Book of Mountains and Seas. It is interesting. It'll be kinda, interesting yeah. to talk about maybe what the title refers to is it referring to that mythic chinese storybook or is it about something else in the play i'm not sure <laughs> another book perhaps uh, <laughs> yeah so he starts off the play he's delivering this monologue about it and he kind of introduces this idea that uh perhaps the monsters disappeared by virtue of them being hunted so in some sense this classic or this book became kind of a cookbook um for for people to try to hunt down these monsters and perhaps the reason they disappeared um is because of that and then he makes the fascinating claim that perhaps they've invented the earliest form of yellow help in this uh, in this writing of the classic of mountains and seas and uh, and that sets up his 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 character's sort of journey because we find out that he has been writing Yelp reviews all over New York over a thousand reviews all over New York um, before um, he died. So there's the there's the real quick <laughs> jolt for you. Pretty quickly, we discover that he has he has passed on. He's in the scenes, um, but he's not interacted with much in the scenes except by Raymond. Now Raymond shows up in New York and he's uh, getting a meal with Andrew, and he tries to sell Andrew on this idea. Remember, Andrew is Archie's partner. He tries to sell Andrew on this idea that. 
He's going to go all over New York and go to all the places that Archie left a Yelp review. And we discover the reason for this is because Raymond received Archie's phone and the only thing that was left on the phone was his Yelp app. Um, so, so he, he's trying to figure out why this is the one thing that was left to him. He's trying to figure out some sort of resonance. Um, he and his wife have kind of put together this physical book of all the different Yelp reviews for him to go around New York and try to go to all the places and discover what Archie was trying to leave them. Um, and, and, and so he's trying to get Andrew to come along with him, both to kind of connect with him. They have a pretty strong familial bond. We know, we know that he's like sent like care packages to Andrew over, over the course of uh, the months uh, since then. And he's, he's trying to get Andrew to sign on. Andrew isn't on board though. Andrew uh, is kind of trying to move on a little bit. He's a photographer. He's trying to kind of start up that business and he's trying to focus on that. The next scene, uh, we get, uh, uh, he's at, he's at a photo shoot and he discovers that, uh, there's a new review on his photography. It's from Archie, really from Raymond. Um, and, uh, it's a bad review, a negative review that he didn't make time to, to do this sort of photo shoot for, for Raymond. Um, they, they have a con confrontation and eventually Raymond brings him around to coming along with him in exchange for possibly removing the bad review and also shooting better pictures on Yelp and getting better reviews for both his photography and, uh, for, for, for the project itself. Then starts a bar crawl. They kind of go all, all around New York to as many of the places as they can. The kind of time crunch that they're in is Raymond has a conference in three days that he has to speak at. So they're going all over to these places that Archie reviewed. And all along, Archie is this kind of ethereal presence. He's a, the, like the physical actor is there, but he's kind of coming in and adding commentary to what's going on. Um, most of the time, only Raymond can hear him or he only ever uh, seems to be the one who can interact with him. They go uh, to various bars. They end up at a gay bar where Raymond is having kind of this first experience of being in a gay bar and they just get smashed out drunk. Um, they wake up the next morning very hungover and uh, you, you, they have this uh, kind of confrontational scene um, where, uh, where, where they, they deal with a lot of their kind of backstories and Raymond talks a lot about how he's uh, been trying to figure out what the secret message Archie left him is in the Yelp reviews and finally Andrew admits that it was in fact he who deleted all of the apps off of the phone. Everything else besides the, the Yelp reviews because he thought it was fairly harmless. Um, that, that, that kind of ends the scene in a, in a big, in a big, uh, <laughs> blow up. They, they kind of, they separate after that scene. We, the next scene we get Andrew, he tells a retelling of the classic of mountains and seas from his own perspective, and then, uh, continues into a kind of a photo shoot, which Archie breaks into in an ethereal sense before he has to go rescue Raymond, who has set a public fire of his book of reviews in the middle of the street and gotten tackled by police, had to get bailed out, and they have another pretty significant significant confrontation, which culminates in Raymond stealing Andrew's uh, camera and deleting a bunch of photos off of it, both photos that he has shot of recent gigs and starting to wonder if he's getting into kind of photos that Andrew says he hasn't opened or looked at since Archie was alive. 
Um, f- finally, you get, uh, after that scene, uh, eventually he gets the camera back, Andrew gets the camera back, and the scene ends. Raymond tells his version of the classic of Mountains and Seas, which takes on his own character's sort of perspective. I'm excited to get to talk about the three different tellings, because it's all really indicative of the different characters. Um, he presents on his topic, which is a topic of education in China, um, and how, uh, how, uh, in China there's a number of, uh, kind of college students who are, uh, found and earmarked for people who want to be teachers. They get free college for four years, but in exchange, they have to go teach for 10 years in their hometowns and kind of sign a contract around that. So he and Andrew have a bunch of uh, kind of worldview differences around that sort of model of education. But he's presenting to a big conference about the the, the merits of that and the merits of the Chinese system for, for training teachers. Um, the final scene is a kind of a reconciliatory scene. They show up in the in, in a restaurant together. They're eating together one more time. They try to make whatever amends they can after they have both hurt each other. And they discover quite a bit of connection between each other. They um, there, There's multiple scenes where one or the other sees, the stage direction say, sees Archie in the other. And that happens for Andrew in this scene. He, he kind of notices that you know, the really strong connection between Raymond and Archie. And uh, and and there's a kind of a love shared between them, uh, certainly a, f- a familial sense and, and maybe even a little bit more. Um, so uh, you kind of end the scene uh, with, with they were, they're just about to leave and then uh, Andrew tries to delay it a little longer. They go and they, they're assumedly to go get more food somewhere in the city and continue trying to hit these different spots and, and end Archie's story well. That's that's what I got. That's that's the big the big sweep of the play. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in this play. It's actually kind of a long play, all things considered. I mean, it's a it's a three hander. It's a kind of a regular old psychological drama, for lack of a better term. Right. This is about interpersonal relationships. This is about secrets that are revealed. This is about grief and moving on and what that means for humans. But for all that, it's kind of a long play. There's a lot that happens, as you just discovered, trying to do the synopsis. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Yeah, they cover a lot of ground, a lot of locations in New York. They're all over the place. And there's some pretty extensive, like, you know, one-on-one scenes between these, uh, between Andrew and Raymond at the, as they're like slowly sussing out their stories and secrets from each other. Yeah, the uh, the the original world premiere production that was scheduled to happen and then canceled. That theater company still has the production photos up on their website, and they do what I think you would have to do with a play like this, which is um, almost it's not minimalist in the sense that there's not an incredible complicated design, but in that there's just so many different locations that you can't fully box set realize. Yeah. all of them so it's a a table here to represent something a bed here to represent something i mean this is a romp through new york city and you see a lot of places it's true you just kind of have to rely on a table to be the bar or a booth to be the restaurant or something like that and just easy easy fast switches and also really that leans into the etherealness of it too because archie is this like ghost character who has well, to like hold on now <laughs> long Liu says very specifically he's not a ghost character that's, that's which fair, is but a also... fascinating note <laughs> Right, because, yeah, you're right, you're right. It does say he's not a ghost character. And yet he, like, materializes in out of darkness frequently throughout the play and has to kind of pop into the conscious of especially Raymond uh, and add commentary to our experience of Andrew um, through, throughout the play. 
Yeah, so so this note that we're talking about is in the character descriptions at the beginning, and and I actually want to start at the character descriptions because I think they're pretty interesting too. But this note about Archie is that I'm just going to read it. Archie is not a ghost character. When he's interacting with Raymond, he's more like the devil on Raymond's shoulder. I actually think this is a really good note from the playwright because in a play like this, you may be tempted to ask that question, right? Is the Archie that is being experienced the real Archie here as like a spirit or is this basically a figment of Raymond's imagination? And then very late in the play, you see Andrew also experience that figment briefly. Um, and the, the playwright just tries to give you that answer right away so that you understand the story you're experiencing. Raymond and Andrew are not being visited by a spirit. They are experiencing a hallucination. Or you may even say that the playwright is just manifesting their experience of, you know, imagining what Archie might say in any given circumstance. I like the word manifesting because especially Raymond has kind of conjured this image of Archie um, as a result of him trying to find meaning in all of these Yelp posts that he wrote. And he's kind of manifested this impersonation of him that winds up, uh, that does wind up being this kind of uh, constantly critiquing and evaluative presence and 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 to to the point that you almost wonder you you have to wonder and it's and it winds up being pretty true um if this is just in fact Raymond's subconscious talking and and giving giving a character um to his subconscious in the character of his son to try to try to um so, so you, it's in some ways it's an interior monologue of Raymond that is very uh very grounded in in Archie still Yes, I totally agree. It, 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 what we are seeing is a reflection of what is going on in Raymond and Andrew's subconsciouses, rather than this being Archie himself who is trying to play a message out. This Archie is just a reflection of the uh, the incredible conflict that's going on in these characters' heads. Now, in truth, I think that probably makes the character of Archie a fairly difficult character to play. I don't envy that actor having to play a manifestation of internal conflict and unresolved grief rather than like a, a you know a, a spirit ghost character who's here to do whatever would just be easier to play. But this right. is it's a more complex manifestation, like, Archie that we see is actually part of the two human characters rather than mm -hmm. its own third entity. Right. There isn't like any poltergeisty thing or blind spirit things happening where, you know, <laughs> he's walking around picking up stuff or moving stuff or handing stuff at opportune moments. None of that is there really to like, if, if you're going to stay consistent with this manifestation idea, none of that is available to the actor. He can't, they, they can't interact with the world, um, but they can interact with the characters. So it does, I agree. It is, a, it is kind of a difficult thing to try to manifest that, that sort of interaction between, between him without having anything tangible or even really full agency as as uh, a character to to be playing with and it, it makes it interesting because the discoveries that are made about archie as a character in the play are really discoveries that raymond and andrew make about their perceptions of archie which leads me to the character descriptions which i find so interesting for each of the three character descriptions uh there's like this sort of you know descriptions of kind of their 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 data, right? Their age, their ethnicity, where they live, that kind of stuff. And then there's a note about basically uh, who this person would be at a party. 
So Archie says, the kind of person everybody would remember talking to after a party, but no one would actually know his name. And Raymond says, the kind of dad who would watch at least two episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race before a party so he could talk to his son's gay friends. And Andrew says, in a party, he's most likely seen in a corner talking to the house cat. And those are all really interesting character descriptions because... Like, a party does not play a significant role in this script. Now, they go to that, they go to the bar, and there's, like, a dancing drunken scene. But this is not, like, a house party, and uh, Archie's not even there, right? We've already discussed he's a manifestation of their subconsciouses. So I just find it very interesting that this party, this house party metaphor is the way that the playwright has chosen to give us some pre-insight into who these people are, right? These are the character notes. These are notes for the actors and the directors and the readers before you get into the story. Yeah, it does paint a vivid image of each of them. You feel like you kind of probably have met these people before or went to a party with these people before, and thus it kind of grounds it in something real, I feel like. Um, I think a lot of times, like, reading reading a character description, there's almost something archetypal about them in a lot of character descriptions, or something, like, O'Neillian or, or uh, Chekhovian about them, these kind of long descriptions of someone who you almost can't possibly think they can be real. Um, so, so grounding it in something that is a common experience for the audience that the playwright is writing to um, is, is a unique tactic in, in trying to kind of ground us in something familiar so that you kind of have this sense that you, you've met these characters in having read only a sentence about them. And this is probably thinking too much into it, but hey, that's kind of the point of this podcast. That's the point. (laughs) (laughs) But is this description of Archie that we get, again, it's the kind of person everybody would remember talking to after a party, but no one would actually know his name. Is this description a description of the actual Archie who died three years ago or this subconscious manifestation? In other words, is this a description of how (laughs) Raymond and Andrew remember Archie Or is this a description of Archie as he actually was? Yeah, (laughs) it's like Inception level stuff (laughs) happening here. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's 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 a fascinating way to get introduced to the characters, but then you get a lot of other introduction, especially to Raymond and Andrew through that. Like, there's so many, just so many good kind of gritty scenes. Gritty is maybe not the right word, but you can sink your teeth into a lot of these scenes um, between the two of them because you you get these long scenes, especially the the beginning where Raymond is trying to convince Andrew, but then really the the scenes around the nightclub and the hangover. I feel like. That, that there's a couple crucible moments in this play, and that's certainly one of them, is the kind of uh, evening at the gay bar into the hangover the next morning and and their their interaction in that that kind of uh, that that sort of uh, pressure cooker of that experience. Yeah, I mean, almost more than anything else, this is a buddy play, right? This yeah. is a play about a friendship. And it, yeah. it's sent, the friendship exists because both of these men are still grieving at the loss of Archie, and that draws them together even two and a half years after Archie's death. I don't remember if you said that or not, but this is not, Archie didn't die last week. This is almost three years later. And these men are still drawn together for a friendship. And the question of the play is like, what's going to happen to this friendship? and is there are there divergent views on how to hold the memory of Archie are there divergent views going to ruin this friendship 
And are the secrets that they've kept from each other going to ruin this friendship? Because they both have pretty significant secrets that they've kept from each other. Now, Andrews are pretty directly uh, hurtful to uh, Raymond. Andrews uh, revelation that he uh, was the one who deleted everything off of the phone and that he knew uh, that there wasn't any pr anything particular about the Yelp uh, app being left there other than his own kind of preference to leave something that was maybe wasn't that wasn't uh, condemning or or wouldn't lower Archie in his eyes. Well, let's, so, that, let's so, talk about that secret for a second because yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. actually get two explanations from Andrew about why he left the Yelp app on the phone. And I, th this is, I think, fantastic writing because, right, a, a revelation moment, a big secret coming to light and changing everything. This is like the core of psychological dramas, right? right this, is, yeah. this is the bread and butter of what playwrights who write these kinds of plays do. So that that is just standard work. What is very interesting about it is that he has to reveal the secret twice because the first explanation he gives for why he left, he deleted everything on the phone as Archie's dying, basically, because Archie asked him to. That's the big secret reveal. Archie said, if I die, delete everything on my phone. So he's dying. He had basically, he intervened basically in, in, a, in a beating and ended up getting killed. And so Andrew's deleting everything on the phone like Archie asked him to. He leaves the Yelp app on there though. So the first time he reveals the secret, he basically says, I don't know. I just thought it didn't even matter. I, di I didn't think that, you know, I was just trying to get things off the phone quickly and the Yelp app didn't seem like it was all that important. That's the first explanation we give, but we later learn that that is also a lie. He has to That's do the true. revelation again and tell us really, really why he left the Yelp app on the phone. Yeah, which is which it has to do with some kind of uber painful stuff for Raymond beyond the kind of betrayal that he's he's he showed up and and Andrew hasn't told him uh, and they've spent two days together kind of following this like false rabbit trail that he's built for himself in in Yelp. Um, but then the second time around, you have this kind of condemnation coming from Andrew about how Raymond has behaved about Archie and towards Archie throughout his years. You have the kind of differences in, in cultural expectations around individualism and, and kind of familial contract almost that, that they're dealing with that, that, uh, Andrew winds up saying that he didn't want, uh, um, Raymond to judge Archie for anything that he had on his phone, that there was maybe some stuff on there that, that Archie wouldn't want Raymond to have because uh, he Archie experienced a lot of kind of need to succeed from from Raymond. And so so there's that aspect kind of thrown into his face of like, you didn't you uh, Archie wouldn't have wanted you to see it more than more than anything else. Archie wouldn't like would, would have uh, been afraid or or sad that you would see it. Yeah, it's this it's this idea that Raymond has been sort of playing with the whole play, which is like I I want to know all of this stuff about my son. The 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 metaphor of like his sexual kinks is the one that kind of comes up over and over again. Like I, I want to have the freedom to know that stuff about my son if I wanted to. And you've taken that you Andrew, I'm playing Raymond, I guess, have taken that away from <laughs> me by by deleting this phone. And Andrew's point of view is basically nobody wants 
wants to know that kind of stuff. Let's just let somebody's memory exist in this kind of uh, nostalgic bubble and refuse to pop it. And that's what Archie wanted. That's why he asked me to do this. But then Raymond presses him. Why? So why did you leave Yelp, right? He said, delete everything. Why did you leave Yelp? And that second admission comes. And I'm going to read the line from Andrew here. He says, um, it was hard for me too, wiping out his life. I wanted to at least save something. I thought Yelp should be safe. He was an elite member in the app. There was no chance of him coming up, blah, 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 blah. So the second admission is not, it's very, it's almost the opposite of the first one, right? At first he says, I was just trying to delete stuff. I thought Yelp wouldn't matter. It's no big deal. And then it comes around again and he says, no, I saved Yelp because I desperately wanted to save something. And it felt like Yelp was a safe thing that I could save and keep something of him around. You kind of see the two different types of grief that they are they are going through in in the in that moment in in that revelation from both of them that that Raymond wants all the information any of the information as just any way to connect even if it's something that he might not want to see or that Andrew thinks he might not want to see versus Andrew who does want to kind of have this sense of of Archie moving on and kind of uh, allowing allowing him to do so and not have to continually judge him um, based on what he left behind. But even that, he's, he, he wants to hang on just a little bit to some of the experience. It's why he's left pictures on his phone still undeleted, or pictures on his camera undeleted, and the Yelp app. It's because there's something in him that still wants to have it hang on a little bit longer. Since you mentioned the camera, let's talk about some of the props in the play a little bit. Because this yeah. is also where I think uh, Ilang Liu has done something I just think wildly smart in the use of props in the play. I would say there are three major props in the play. There's this um, binder or book or however the prop master imagines it, I guess. It's this collection of all of the Yelp reviews that Archie made when he was alive, but they're printed off and made into a physical copy. <laughs> Which yeah. is amazing. Yep. <laughs> what a lovely thing. I mean, Raymond's in his 50s. He's trying to deal with this smartphone. So he just prints off all the reviews to have to. I yeah. mean, that's awesome. <laughs> but what it does is it takes the reviews that Archie left and separates them as a prop from the phone. So beyond being a nice character thing that he would have to print off the reviews to be able to interact with them successfully, there's also this really smart dramaturgical thing, which is rather than just have one prop with all the weight, this phone, you've now created two that can have separate weights. You've got the book of reviews and you've got the phone itself. But there's also a major third prop, which is Andrew's camera which also contains pictures and memories of him and Archie. And here's what I think is so smart. The camera and the book of reviews are both like miniature, um, they're like pieces of what you can do with the phone, right? I mean, I think like most people's phones nowadays are, they're a communication method and they're a camera. And the reviews are a representative of the communication method and the camera that, Andrew has his reputation of a camera. So of these three props, the two outside ones are like linked to the phone itself. Hmm. Yeah. And kind of indicative of, of, of the phone, the phone and, and what Archie was doing with it the whole time. That's that they also, uh, offer, they both kind of have this, this sort of, um, 
continuity aspect to it, or they are the gateway through which both of these characters are trying to navigate their future. Um, you have uh, Raymond, who you know is trying to make sense of these reviews and trying to find some some message that was left to him in these reviews that can can try to help him move into a next phase of life, either in in holding Archie's memories well or in moving on past them. And and for Andrew, that the camera is is his way forward. He's that's what he's given his focus to to try to build up his photography business and and kind of move on to what's next for him as well. So there's a lot of weight in in both of those props as well in addition to the phone that that kind of floats through but those two wind up being the ones that are negotiated around the most in the play. Yes, and, and so it's his way forward, but it is also the thing that is holding him sort of c- connected to Archie, right? Because Andrew yeah. describes um, that when he's taking, basically his job as a photographer is that he takes wedding photos of couples who are getting married at City Hall and then also goes to act as their witness. So he's like this two-for-one wedding package is the joke right. he makes in the play. <laughs> but so he describes how when he's there taking these wedding photos, the sound of the camera, the actual sound of the shutter consistently uh, is sort of a painful thing because it makes him remember Archie and this life that they never got to have together as he's there taking photos of people promising to spend the rest of their lives together. So simultaneously, the camera is a path forward for Andrew and also the thing holding him back. And the book of reviews is that for Raymond too, in some ways. He hopes it's his path forward. He's, He's probably wrong about that, but he hopes it's his path forward in grief. And it's the thing kind of holding him back sort of paradoxical between the two of them. It's both both and for 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 both of them. And that's why the negotiation gets so heated and stressful as as these items begin to float through the play. Um there's uh it kind of all starts with Raymond uh discovering the lie that that Andrew uh, that Andrew was the one who deleted the the apps on the phone and left the Yelp review it's not some sort of secret message but then he proceeds to go out and burn burn all the reviews at least partially um and and uh, that that kind of starts off this this sort of uh uh, <laughs> negotiation is a, is a light term for it, but theft, um, um, threatening, uh, uh, danger around these props that have so much weight to them. Yeah, actually, the two men do quite a bit of kind of terrible things to each other over the course of. The, I mean, the play basically starts with Raymond blackmailing Andrew by threatening to leave this terrible review that sort of subtly accuses Andrew of being like racist and homophobic uh, in order to force Andrew, who they say they have this sort of almost father and son relationship. So they, so Raymond is, you know, willing to, blackmail Andrew that apparently they have this close relationship yet he's still willing to do this to him and then you learn later that well okay but Andrew was also doing something pretty terrible by lying about the fact that Archie left this Yelp app on his phone and filling apparently Archie's parents with hope for years that there was a message hidden in the Yelp app and then Raymond steals the camera and is going to delete photos which would also ruin Andrew's career I mean, the back and forth of uh, sort of painful sucker punches is kind of throughout. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. The, the revelations that you arrive at that lead to consequences. The scene where Raymond is 
actively deleting and perhaps even threatening to destroy the camera um, is is just like super tense. <laughs> and and you're trying to like you're tr certainly the prop negotiation is there. We like talking talking about prop negotiation, but also I imagine depending on how you uh, block that scene and interact with that scene, there's some like physical tension there as well. Because really, the only thing Andrew can do. He tries to like find something that is of equal value to Raymond in his bag and the, the burned book is there. There's like trinkets in his bag and stuff and there's just nothing of equal value. So really the question is, do I physically intervene and get my camera back? Or will is it too late? Will the camera be destroyed? Will the pictures be deleted? And it's 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 a very, very painful scene to kind of, of which eventually culminates in in Raymond falling apart and just apologizing profusely for what he's done. And the reason why he is able to do that is really emblematic of what this play is. I mean, the play is called The Book of Mountains and Seas. It, it involves these uh, this collection of Chinese myths, and you see them kind of come up in really important points. There's these three monologues. Which which hopefully we'll have time to discuss. We'll see. But in the in the in the climactic moment where Raymond is deleting these photos, trying to do to Andrew what Andrew did to him, Andrew says he he basically brings this sort of uh, Chinese culture and tradition and what's happening in the mo more modern era together uh, um, together in sort of a jarring smash right because Raymond yeah. has just said uh, you know I burned this Yelp reviews why did I do that well I we the, I guess the his culture his tradition believe that when we burn things we're not destroying them we're like sending them to the afterlife so he was burning the book to send it on to Archie to sort of say here look see what you left us what does this mean send me a sign and so Andrew does the work then of sort of updating the tradition, let's say, or updating the mythology and bringing it smash mouth into the modern day. He says, well, look, when you delete stuff, when you destroy them digitally, you're basically burning them from the hard drive. That's how the technology works. So actually you're sending that stuff on to the afterlife too in your way of belief. Is this what you want Archie to see? And so through the whole play, there's been this drawing together of mythology and tradition with this more modern culture, right? I mean, the play's about following Yelp reviews from somebody's smartphone around New York City. And it's really nice that in the climactic moment, it is the drawing together of traditions with modernity that causes the big change. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and, and you see, you see then right after that Raymond's retelling of the classic of mountains and seas, which kind of adds, adds that one, one more telling of it to kind of bring his perspective to the table. And that's, I, I, I love the three different, like, character traits that are are present in the three different tellings of the classic because in the first one as as i mentioned at the start you kind of have this this almost little tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, i would say claiming, very tongue-in-cheek <laughs> <laughs> extremely tongue-in-cheek um sort of claiming of yelp as as uh the first or the a very early chinese invention and it being associated with this book of monsters that gets turned into a cookbook and a hunting book basically then you have Andrew give it its time, and it's so much about letting someone move on, um, and and someone being left alone, uh, and and just just kind of uh, allowing that to happen, and and you see that reflected in his actions as well, in his actions.
actions of trying to keep uh, some of Archie's uh, past a secret, just allowing him to move on. Then you have Raymond's telling at the end, which it's all the same, like same stories are being told. And yet his flavor is much more about the, the monsters, like seeing that the world is bad for their children. So they move to another place and the world is even worse there. And so that their child ends up dying as a result of, of, of their moving there. And so the monsters eventually went extinct and you see just just really beautifully and masterfully these different kind of subplots and kind of core beliefs of these characters being worked into how they tell the myth. And, and, and that's a, just a fascinating way to see it played out. And what's so interesting about it is that the three different tellings, it, it, they sort of tell uh, a myth about the myths. Like none of them are telling mm. any of the stories from the book or the classic. In fact, only one of them appears in the story and it's this story of the, the woman who turns into a bird, which is a great use of that myth. Maybe we'll have time to talk about that. I don't know. We're running short. But um, <laughs> what the three men tell are uh, a myth about all of these mythic creatures and what happened to them, why they're sort of encapsulated in legend. And what's so interesting about it is that none of them are subtle. They are like, they're totally different, um, like falsehoods, right? Like they're so extremely off the mark that you, you would imagine that the people who are telling this so off the mark thing are aware of how off the mark they are, right? I mean, you mentioned that Archie's who start, this is how the show starts is tongue in cheek. Basically he's, he's trying to use this classic of mountains and seas as a, uh, an introduction to his Yelp profile. So right, he it's says, like a bio. yeah, it's like basically <laughs> all these monsters must've been eaten, right? So this is a cookbook. It's a Yelp thing. They're basically reviewing where to find the monsters and what they taste like and crap like that. So, I mean, wildly off the mark it's a total um uh grabbing the story and using it for your own purposes a hundred percent and andrews is like that too right let's leave all the monsters in myth we don't need to think too much about it let them be encapsulated in stories that's how we're going to remember them and raymond's is like about monster parents and their monster children and how dangerous the world might be i mean these are total divergences from what's happened. And while, you know, a playwright could have taken the classic of Mountain and Season, taken a more sort of subtle shifting of the story between the three men, there's something sort of brazenly effective about choosing three so obvious, over-the-top divergences of this telling of the story. Yeah, they're like like strange ideological, like trying to find the origin of something sort of tales that, that are clear I agree, clearly false, and yet say something about the characters who are telling them. Say something about about the, how they view the world and how they have received the myth and how they've internalized it, um, and and how it's still affecting them, even if it is a wildly, you know. It's factually inaccurate. It's about it's about fantasy creatures. Of course, it's going to be factually inaccurate. But they they have this they 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 have this this uh, ownership of the story in their own different ways and can use it to tell their own stories as a lens. And it works, I think, because of the bird story. I mean, that's sort of a weird thing to say, but the the only story of the classic of mountains and seas that is actually told in the play is this story of a princess who was drowned in the sea and becomes a bird. And she, as a bird, in order to 
take revenge on the ocean for drowning her. The bird drops pebbles into the ocean. Uh, I'll just read the end of the story. So she carried a little pebble in her mouth and dropped it into the ocean day after day. So determined to fill it up eventually, even if it'd take a million years. And Raymond's story is, uh, his, his moral is, Always, always come up with effective ways to solve your problems or else you'll just wasting your time throwing pebbles into the ocean. Now, what I so like about that is it is a very different use of the myths than the three monologues are. The three monologues are grabbing this and telling it in an entirely divergent way to serve your own purposes. Not subtle, very obvious, and it's effective because of that. And it's effective because it's in juxtaposition to this use of the myth. In this use of the myth, Long Yu shows us that he can really effectively tie those stories in in a very subtle way. Because what is this a story really about? It's really a story about Raymond, right? Dropping pebbles in the ocean, trying to get over his grief. Yeah. Yep. Showing up with a big, you know, leaflet full of of pebbles to try to like figure out what's the best way forward, I mean, and and he's, he can. He's got like three days till his conference, or five days till his conference, or whatever. And the and Archie left. I think I looked up the number, like 180 reviews or something yeah. like that. Like you're never gonna get to all of them before you <laughs> come. That is never gonna happen. Talk about your yep. pebbles in the ocean. An impossible task to achieve some sort of fantasy uh, revenge or um, uh, conclusion uh, to, to make yourself, uh, you know, get over a, a terrible grief or loss. Yeah, feel better or have some clarity around things like, yeah, this this kind of uh, incorrect strategies to to try to accomplish. Incorrect is maybe the wrong word. Um, no, non- just uh, they, they don't. Yeah, they don't have a possibility of working. And the fact yeah. that they don't have a possibility of working shows you the character's desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the interesting foil of Andrew in conversation with that. Andrew, who guesses that the story is about teaching kids perseverance. Um, and, and you have his kind of own different way that he's trying to, uh, it's, it's not throw pebbles at it, but almost ignore or not deal with or, or keep secret, um, his, his, uh, sort of, narrative of grief, uh, either from himself, but, but also from Raymond. And that's kind of slowly pulled out of him by Raymond's continued efforts. As we run at the end of our time here, Jackson, I want to ask about how the play ends, because I think that as a play about two men on this journey to move on from, uh, the, the death of their one partner and one son, um, the end of the play, Raymond has very obviously made a change. There's something has changed for him. He is in a different place than when the play started by a significant margin. What do you think about Andrew, though? Because in that climactic confrontation, it does seem a little bit like Andrew has sort of done the work already and he's you know offering Raymond that wisdom. How it, what, what is the journey that Andrew is on? Yeah, uh, so so there is this kind of um, interesting scene with them taking a bunch of selfies together at the end of the play. There's this kind of closeness that is established with them, and 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 uh, Andrew sees some of Archie and Raymond. There's two scenes, as I mentioned at this top, where where they both see Archie and each other, and this is the final scene for for Andrew, where he sees. 
the resonance of Archie in Raymond. And and I wonder if there is that sort of a uh, potential for connection continuing. I think he, uh, as in his uh, as in his character description at the top of the play, he's the sort of person at the party who talks to the cat. He's not he's not really in it for connection. He talks about how he's an introvert and how it's very hard to be a gay man and an introvert in New York. Um, and he's not really willing to go out and connect with people as much. Um, so so you have this this connection build between them, and and you have uh, him him initiating at the end to try to stay connected more. He, he says, let's go out and get some more to eat before you leave. Um, you have uh, him saying he wants to uh, come out and visit Raymond and see his cat. And and uh, so, so I think that might be part of the journey that Andrew is on, this journey towards connection and 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 kind of the deepening of his connection between between him and Raymond. Yeah, and there this the scene just before that is sort of a uh, a back and forth juxtaposition scene where Raymond does his presentation at the conference and what he's going to say has totally changed by virtue of the experience that he's had with Andrew, of course. And then Andrew, you see him taking wedding photos, and he's had a couple of different scenes doing that, and. There, there must be something in there, I think, that shows us how Andrew's changed. And it seems like the experience that he has taking this picture is, um, or taking this, this wedding cup, this, this couple's pictures is the experience of it being kind of a celebratory experience. it seems like maybe he's refound the joy of people's relationships where he has previously said that that part of his job has been a, a real cause of suffering for him. And this, it, this is a little more subtly laid out through the play because it's just not, it's not so clearly made the connections as it is with Raymond, but very early in the play, Raymond basically says, you know, I've been following you online and it doesn't seem like you've taken a lot of photos recently. And Andrew kind of comes up with some excuse about why that's not really happening. Um, and Raymond pushes back a little bit. And then we see a scene with Andrew taking photos and it does not go well at all. It crash lands, yeah. Crash. And then we see another scene later in the play and he is constantly trying to have this conversation with the Archie uh, subconscious devil on your shoulder character. So then at the end, it could be that... Um, seeing the joy of couples has been a painful experience for Andrew because of this loss and he has maybe taken a step towards being able to appreciate and participate in other people's joy by the end of the play yeah that that could very well be certainly his sort of uh openness to experience uh uh connection and joy with connection there um yeah the, and 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 I do like the kind of resonance between his different photo shooting scenes. I think we learn a lot about him in those scenes. I agree that most of the time we're riding along with Raymond and and his journey um as they journey together really, but those scenes are kind of our windows into uh, Andrew alone, um, and Andrew dealing with himself. So trying to track his kind of slow progression into a more, uh, whole experience of, of, of the world and of joy, um, would be indicated by those scenes where he's alone and trying to shoot these, uh, different photo shoots. Well, I think that's probably all the time we have to talk about this play. This is a fun discovery. It, reading plays is so great, and reading new playwrights yeah. and different kinds of theatrical imaginations is so rewarding. And a lot of fun talking about this play, a lot of fun reading a new playwright to me. So uh, I'm looking forward. Maybe I'll get to see one of these plays someday. 
Yeah, it's true. It's so nice to kind of be able to to read and not have to, you know, travel all over the country to get, you know, to world premieres. You can see some of these plays that are coming out or hopefully you can, my fingers are crossed that this play is going to come out, <laughs> have its world premiere and its day on the stage soon. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a great, great conversation and it doesn't have to end here. We'd love for you to find this play, read this play, be in this play, watch it someday and, and have some conversation with us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPod. Podcast. We also have a Gmail, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us and also the NoScript community that likes talking about plays on any of those uh, social media sites. We'd love to keep talking about the Book of Mountains and Seas with you. And now for the big announcement, we are two weeks away from our themed month that will be in November of, what is this, 2021 this season? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and this season, our themed month is Murder Month. Murder month. Yes, congratulations for making it to the end and having this kind of sneak peek of what's coming. We got uh, Murder Month coming up, four plays around the subject of murder, and uh, we're excited to get to jump into those conversations. This is going to be great. There are going to be four very different plays about different murders. Um, now, if you're if you're forward-looking, you know that there's five Mondays in November. So there's actually five episodes coming out in November, but our theme months are typically four episodes long, and we're going to stick with that. We've decided to do something different with our theme month this year, which is just, we feel like in the middle of four <laughs> plays about murder, we yeah. may need a little bit of a break. Just a breather. Just, just like a, a short change in subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> so halfway through our themed month of murder, we're going to take a break, talk about a big comedy, something that has nothing to do with murder, and then we'll dive back into the blood and gore for the final two episodes of the theme month. Yes, it's a very, very Dionysian sort of uh, dis disassociation that will get a brief comedic or something else sort of thing and get back into the grid of it. So uh, get planning for that. Get excited for that. We're, we are excited, clearly, and we hope you are, too, for the upcoming themed month, Murder Month. We will see you then, and I guess we'll see you next week, too. There's still one more week before Murder Month. Hope you'll be yeah. there. And yeah. then we will get to Murder Month for our theme month for Season 7. Until then, it's you true. can recommend our podcast by sending your family, friends, anybody you know that likes theater, scripts, literature, reading, whatever, send them our way. We're at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. You can also like us on Facebook where every Monday a link to the new episode appears right there. Very easy to click and listen from there. And you also get to see the ads for what's coming up the next week as well. So until next week, when we are talking about that next script, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. See ya. See ya.